Welcome to Take the Reins, women championing women's leadership, mentorship, and well-being. Join co-host Pamela Mingle, founder and director of the Gail Bierenbaum Women's Leadership Council, and Erin Barnard, program coordinator and former admissions counselor on their mission to amplify rider women's voices and help guide the next generation of rider women. Stay tuned for their hot takes and expertise with Take the Reins right now. This is 1077 The Bronx, 1077 thebronkcom and you are listening to Take the Reins, a podcast broadcast celebrating the stories and achievements of rider women. We are your hosts, Pam Mingle and Erin Barnard. This podcast is brought to you by the Gail Bierenbaum Women's Leadership Council. The Women's Council is a community of diverse, accomplished women who champion women's leadership, mentoring, and philanthropy. That was Pamela Mingle and we are so excited to bring you insights and interviews with alumni, students, Council. faculty, we'll and friends right on topics including mentoring, leadership, health, financial well-being, and challenges that women face today. So welcome to today's episode of Take the Reins. We are very excited to talk with two outstanding rider women leaders. And while they're definitely leaders in athletics, they are also exceptional leaders and role models for all women in leadership. Today's guests are Lynn Milligan, head coach of Rider Women's Basketball Team, and Pam Durkin, former associate coach of the Rider Women's Basketball Team. So welcome, Pam and Lynn. Thank you, ladies. We're happy to be here. Thank you for having us. We're very excited for today's conversation, but first let's let's do a little bit about who you are for people who don't know. Lynn Milligan is a writer dual degree recipient. She holds a bachelor's degree in communication and a master's degree in counseling. She played both basketball and softball for the Bronx. She coached at St. Joseph's University and Drexel before returning home to coach the Bronx since 2007. Milligan picked up her 100th career win as the head coach of the Bronx during the 2016-2017 season, and she now ranks second all-time in program history in wins. She was named both the MAC Coach of the Year in a vote of her peers and the Maggie Dixon Division I Coach of the Year by the Metropolitan Basketball Writers Association. Milligan was the first writer head coach to earn both distinctions. Welcome, Lynn, and congratulations. Thank you very much. Pam Durkin, former associate head coach of the women's basketball team, is also a writer grad with a degree in biology. She went on to the College of New Jersey to earn a master's in physical education and athletic administration. She's a former coach of Niagara University and Drexel before coming back to writer in 2007. Pam is currently pursuing new opportunities, and we'll talk about that a little more later in the program. Welcome, Pam. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So today we're going to discuss your career journeys as Division I coaches and athletes, the mentors you've had along the way, key advice for women leaders in athletics and beyond, and as well as your leadership lessons. We're going to dive into the challenges for women leaders in college sports, including leadership opportunities or perhaps lack thereof. Um, representation and diversity. Um, there's an excellent study by the Women's Sports Foundation, which conducted um, a series, and so did the Women in College and Coaching Report card with the Tucker Center for Research on Girls and Women in Sports. So we will be drawing statistics from both those studies um, as part of our conversation today. We will link that in the show notes. So if you want more information, you can go and find it there. But Lynn and Pam are crushing it, and we can't <laughs> wait for you to hear their stories. So let's just get started. Um, I don't know who wants to go first, but Lynn or Pam, why don't we start a little bit with your own leadership journey and how did you get to where you are? I'll start. Go ahead, Dirk. Um, so I'm sure you'll hear how Lynn was bound to be a coach. Um, my journey was not <laughs> like that. So um, sports were important for me growing up. Um, we grew up. I grew up kind of before the specializing in one sport you know you always play multiple sports that type of stuff so I was I was what they label a late bloomer and um, really didn't know where I was going to go to college until midway through my senior year in high school which is which is pretty late this day mm -hmm. and age and so um, I came to Ryder I was very interested in in you know medicine so so at the time Ryder didn't have health sciences or exercise mm -hmm. sciences so so my track was basically biology and if I wanted to continue on it was going to be um, post post um, college education and I loved you know all all my my coursework um you know some of it was very difficult uh, some of the classes organic chemistry still gives me nightmares to this day <laughs> doesn't it give but, everyone nightmares yes, yes. yes. Yeah. um but but really enjoyed it and so as I was kind of getting towards the tail end of my career I, I did I was here five years because I blew out my knee so I did have a redshirt year but as I was getting towards the tail end of my career 
Um, I was either going to go to med school. Um, well, that was pretty much what I was going to do. And this summer after I graduated, I was I was preparing to take the MCATs, and I I didn't, I didn't feel like I was ready yet. So it was kind of like oh, I don't know if I should do it right away or if I should wait. And a friend of mine who um, was leaving a current position at College of New Jersey to take a position at Princeton had called and was like, listen, you know, like, you don't know what you're doing. This is a chance for you to get your master's paid for as well as, you know, like coach. And coaching for me wasn't necessarily on the radar. I mean, it's funny because I look back and there's old articles that are written about me. And for some reason, coaching is, is mentioned, hmm. but it never, it never was something that resonated with me. It was kind of like, oh, well, maybe this could be like the last resort type of job. Um, and so I went to the College of New Jersey, and then 26 years later, I was still coaching. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it's a very rewarding profession, and it just was something that, um, like I said, I wasn't looking to actually do. But once you got in it, there was just so many things that you fall in love with that it became very difficult to um, kind of leave. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting lesson. And isn't that one of the things we try to tell women all the time is to be open to opportunities that you don't have to know what comes next for yourself. Right. That if you're yeah. open to exploring and trying things and taking that leap of faith um, like you, you could yeah. end up in something that's really rewarding right. and resonating for you for many, many years. Right, right. Many years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, Lynn, do you want to share a little bit about your Sure. Your, your um, yeah, mine was completely opposite <laughs> of Pam's. Um, I've known since I was 16 that I wanted to be a coach. Mm -hmm. um, I had some very influential coaches in my life. I was a, played every sport I could possibly play, um, softball, basketball, field hockey, whatever season it was, I was playing. Uh, my summer jobs from the time that I was able to get a job or working at camps. So I really like to say I've never had a real job in my entire life. Um, I never waitressed, I never did anything else. I literally just coached kids in sports camps, played sports, and that's all I've ever done. Um, so I knew what I wanted to do. Um, I knew that basketball was my first love. I wanted to play basketball in college. That was a big goal of mine was to play division one basketball. Um, and at the time I didn't want to stay anywhere near home. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Ryder was too close. I grew up in South Jersey. Uh, but fortunately I was able to uh, make a smart decision and, and come to Ryder University um, and chose my majors, chose my path to things that I thought would help me in the future. I came in a business major like you're back then, you were supposed to come in as a business major if you went to Ryder. Um, that lasted about a semester. <laughs> um, I just, I didn't like the, just you had to do a certain thing a certain way. You know, yeah, that right. wasn't really me. I'm much more gray than that. So uh, I switched over to communications, um, to speech communications. And people like Myra Guten and the Schwart Howard Schwartz and all those guys that were, were head of our communication, yeah. just the best. Um, I learned so much from them. And I'm a natural talker. So I was like, you know what, let me major in speech. So I did business and professional speech. Um, and loved it um, with the intention of knowing that I needed to communicate with people because obviously back then there weren't cell phones and things like that. So you actually had to communicate with people and learn how to talk to people. So I felt like that would be a really good track for me to go um, knowing what I wanted to do in the future. I didn't want to get caught up in, well, if you want to be a coach, you have to be, you know, a PE major or whatever. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be a little bit more broad than that. And when I was fortunate enough to graduate here, Eldon Price, who was my coach and also Pam's coach, um, there was never a GA position um, on the women's basketball uh, program and coach price made one for me. He nice. found a way to do it. He combined it with, um, Leslie Craig, who was my softball coach. And they kind of came up with a plan for me that I was basically the GA for both programs. And so I was able to get my master's degree for free and coach both sports at the same time. Um, and you know, back then, you know, people talk about you know, I know we're going to talk about, you know, opportunities and things like that. And that was the best opportunity I could have. And the salary was zero. And it was you get to coach two sports and get your master's degree for free. And I was like, thought I hit the jackpot. I was like, oh, that was the best thing ever. And like Pam said, 31 years later, here I sit. Um, my entire goal when I left Ryder um, after graduating um, with my master's degree in counseling, which, again, I chose because I knew that I was going to be around young women and I wanted to be able to help them as best I could. So that's why I chose counseling for my master's degree. But when I left Ryder um, to go get my first full time job, my entire goal was to get back here. Um, most assistant coaches in our profession, their goal is to be a head coach. Yeah. Um, my goal was to be the Ryder head coach. That was my goal. It took me 15 years to get back. I was an assistant coach for 15 years. Um, but when I got back here, that was that was my dream job. Um, I was a student athlete here. I know what this place did for me. I watched the coaches um, 
help me, help my teammates, other coaches on this campus. I was here when Coach Capola was here, Coach Brady. Um, it, it just everybody was just so um, invested in the students here, and I wanted to be a part of that, and I wanted to come back and be able to do that. Um, so that was my goal, to get back here and be be the head coach at Ryder. Um, and fortunately, I've been here for 16 years and going on 17, and be here till they kick me out. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think what you talk about, and yes, isn't that Ryder's sweet spot? We mm -hmm. invest so heavily in our students and providing yeah. those opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I think when you talk about your coach creating a GA position for you mm -hmm. so you could stay and move into a leadership role is, yeah. is just a statement. And you're right. We are going to talk about it a little further in the podcast. Yeah. But Aaron and I mm -hmm. talk about this a lot is how do we create those leadership opportunities? And Ryder yeah. does that exceptionally well. And I'm, I'm very, I was very, I was very, very fortunate that they came up with a plan to, to help me stay great absolutely you mentioned your your master's degree in counseling mm -hmm. um, I'm just curious how you feel that that helps you as a coach and as a leader well I I, I say I use that degree every single day yeah. um, you know in, in our day you know when Pam and I are working and stuff I mean it's like 10% of the day is actually like basketball and on the court the rest of it is really with our young ladies um, we have a very good culture in our program we have an open door policy our doors are always open our, our, our players come in and out all day long um, they hang out in our office um, and situations arise with young women. Yeah. You know, I like to say we get players as 17-year-old kids, and when they leave us, they're 22-year-old women. Yeah. And 17 to 22 in a young woman's life, huge. there's a lot that goes on that really has nothing to do with basketball. Right. Yes. And we want to make sure, and when we recruit and we're talking to parents and we're talking to mothers, um, that they know that the people that they're young, that their daughters are going to be around are going to be people that they can trust, people they can talk to um, about anything. And different situations come up every single day. I'm sure we could both sit here and tell you a million stories of just, you know, things that come up that, that young women need to talk about. They need to have um, that maternal figure, I guess if that's the right word, that maternal figure person that they can rely on, that they can count on, that they know is there for them when they need it. Um, and if we have to talk about basketball, we can talk about basketball. If it's academics, it's academics. If it's something social, it's social. If it's something a little bit deeper than that, then that's okay too. And you know, it's it's nice to be able to just um, have that confidence in myself to be able to help young women um, when those situations do come up in their life. Um, yes, mm -hmm. we're going to dive into that a little mm -hmm. bit deeper in our next segment because we're going to talk about women's participation in sports and the benefits of that. Um, and I think that ties in really nicely with what you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. um, but we're going to take a short break. This is 1077 The Bronx, 1077 thebronkcom and you're listening to Take the Reins. That was Pamela Mingle and Aaron Barnard with Take the Reins, underwritten by the Gail Bierenbaum Women's Leadership Council. We'll be right back after a short break. Take the Reins on 1077 The Bronx is underwritten by the Gail Bierenbaum Women's Leadership Council at Ryder University. For more than a century, women have fought for their seat at the table. Ryder University has a long history of uplifting women, opening its doors to women at its founding in 1865. Ryder University, along with the Gail Bierenbaum Women's Leadership Council, continues to encourage women to shatter glass ceilings and provide the tools to excel in a competitive world. The council connects outstanding Ryder scholars with professional women who have excelled in their fields, creating a space for a woman to network and build their leadership skills through workshops, philanthropy, and mentorship. Since its inception, the council has mentored over 250 Ryder students and has raised over $1.5 in scholarships and programming funds, empowering students to find success beyond Ryder. The council aims to create a strong, multi-generational community of Ryder women to make a greater tomorrow. For information about the council or how you can get involved, follow Ryder WLC on Facebook and Instagram or visit ryder.edu slash women's leadership. We're back with Take the Reins, underwritten by the Gail Bierenbaum Women's Leadership Council. Here's co-hosts Pamela Mingle and Aaron Barnard with more insight. We're back. You're listening to Take the Reins on 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. We're here with Lynn and Pam. And we're going to talk now a little bit about early athletic experiences and its impact on leadership. Participating in a sport increases graduation rates for high school and college Athletes have higher grade point averages and higher AP scores. Female athletes graduate at a rate 8% higher than female non-athletes. That's an interesting statistic. And those mm -hmm. are just the academic <laughs> sides. There's also a social-emotional benefits, higher self-esteem, greater confidence. One really interesting fact that we found was that 94% of women in the C-suite are former athletes. That's amazing to so, me. I had yeah. no idea, and I know Pam and I were talking about this briefly, that we knew it would be high, yeah. but that's a staggering statistic. It really is, and I think it speaks to the effects that athletics can have on the trajectory of your life and your career. 
What do you two see as the benefits for a young woman for a young woman to compete in a sport, uh, and how have you seen it transform your players? Well, I think the biggest thing um, that athletics gives you that maybe uh, people that aren't involved in athletics maybe don't understand on a, on the level that that we have is the discipline, um, the hard work, your character, um, your ability to handle pressure, your ability to meet deadlines, your ability to work well with other people. You know, those are characteristics that our athletes have um, as young women. And then I like to say, you know, it's, it, we don't start from scratch here. We just enhance everything. You know, it's like it, everything's like 2.0. And I think that those characteristics are what people in the outside world are looking for, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I think it, it becomes kind of natural for our young women um, to instill those types of um, characteristics that they don't even realize they have. I don't think they realize it until they leave here, until they're done playing sports, what they can draw back on and be like, oh, wow, that's, you know, and we talk about it all the time, like this isn't going to be the hardest thing you're ever going to face. Right. You know, and it's, I think the, what sports does is put you in a situation and teach you how to handle, in my opinion, pretty much anything you can draw back on some type of sport memory, some type of sport activity um, that you don't realize until you're in that situation and it clicks and it's like, oh, you know, be early for a meeting, be, you know, on time is late. You know, those little things that I think bosses and people in corporate world are like, oh, oh, you're on time. You're like, I don't, I don't know if that's a norm or not. You know what I mean? How you handle yourself in a meeting, how you communicate, how you can work in a team, how your maybe your ego isn't as big as maybe the person next to you who hasn't been on a team where everybody's opinion matters and everybody counts and you want to be part of something bigger than yourself. Those are the types of things I think that just kind of automatically become who you are as an athlete. Well, and I think that it's exactly why so many women then are in the C-suite because those mm-hmm. are all the qualities and skills of mm-hmm. effective leaders, regardless of mm-hmm. what industry that you're yep. in. And you brought up something I kind of wanted to circle back to um, when you think about um, challenges. So you talked about challenges that students will face mm-hmm. or college athletes will face. What were some of the challenges you faced in both you and Pam in your journey as leaders? Because I'm assuming that then you draw back on your own college experience and your own training and the discipline and the mm-hmm. confidence mm-hmm. and uh, the the grit and resiliency mm-hmm. that I'm sure mm-hmm. you've you've learned. Yeah, resiliency mm-hmm. is that is that key word that I always go back to with with college um, with coaching college athletes. Um, and for me, I had experienced a season-ending injury, and so um, you know you feel like you're on top of the world one minute, and then the next one you're like, oh my god, my life is over. You know, not to be too extreme, mm-hmm. but it's it's that's the ups and downs of of injuries. And we've had our fair share in the 16 years that I was here on staff of very um, significant injuries. And I always feel like um, I was able to draw on my experience um, when I was here as, as a student athlete and, and just trying to help the players kind of navigate through those emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you know, it's, there's the moment of like disbelief, of shock, of grief, of, you know, and then it's like, okay, well, I got this, you know, once they turn the corner and, and watching the student athletes from when, from the first time they get injured to either they return to the court, you know, and, and perform as if they've never, you know, they never got injured, or even if, if maybe that injury sent them on a different trajectory and to see that different path that they put them on and see that they're still okay. I think, um, for me, that's, that's what I was able to kind of, um, you know, draw from, from my career is like, okay, you know, it, it was an injury, um, that took, you know, six, six to eight months to recover from, but and it I imagine may, mm-hmm. in sports that is an eternity. Yeah, if you're it does a feel like a turn, especially mm-hmm. for basketball because it's it's a longer. Well, with basketball it is a longer season, so you do have a little bit more time to kind of come back into the fold. Where some of the other sports, it might be like three month sports or three month seasons. You miss you know your varsity season, but um, you know, but just being able to to come back and and perform and and there were so many other qualities I was able to learn by not competing Mm -hmm. you know when you're in the fray and you're you're competing you don't see some of these things that are on the peripheral Mm -hmm. like I used to always think my coach was crazy for like yelling at us for certain things and I was like well he's not playing me because I you know because for whatever reason he doesn't like me you know whatever and when I stepped back and couldn't play when the sport was taken from me I was like oh now I see exactly what he's talking about a different perspective yes when you when you step back and you gain a different perspective of 
of what it what it takes to 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 compete at that highest level. Yeah. For me, I always draw back on balance and time management. Oh yeah. Um, balance was big for me because I always um, went from season to season to season to season. Um, and then managing my time, obviously with academics and all the sports I was playing in high school and all that. And then coming to college, um, I, I didn't play softball my freshman year. And quite frankly, I had too much time on my hands. I'm like, I, I need to do more. Um, and I, for me, it's, it's just making sure that I was balanced, you know, with basketball, with softball, with my academics, I wrote for the Rider news. Like I just, I needed to do things, but I also had to manage it to make sure that I was, you know, getting done what I needed to get done and trying to be as successful as I could at everything I was doing. But that's kind of the way that that I grew up is try to balance everything. And time management um, is such a huge key. And I tell kids all the time, you know, there's kids get overwhelmed and well, I'm playing a division one sport and I'm playing basketball and I have no much, I don't have time to do anything. And I always tell them the problem is you have too much time to do nothing. Yeah. It's not that you don't have enough time to do everything. You have too much time to do nothing because it's a whole different world when you get here. Yeah. You know, in high school, you're in school from, you know, seven in the morning to like three in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. That's not college. Yeah. You're in a classroom for maybe two hours a day. So now all of a sudden you've got these five or six hours that you've never had before and you don't even realize you have them. So it's really managing your time to be successful at everything that you can do. And we work really, really hard on that, particularly with our younger players, is helping them manage their time and recognize that there's a lot of time in the day. We call them 168s, so 168 mm-hmm. hours in a week. And we have a chart that I do for our players and then they add to it so that they can see you know, oh my God, I have all this to do. Okay, well, let's write it down in our 168 and see what it actually looks like. Add in, you know, from weightlifting to individuals, to practice, to class, to study hall. And you look at all of it and you're like, oh, wow, I really, I I still have a lot of time. time. I've got some time I can get things done and still have fun and do all the other things. So it's really just that balance and time management for me that I always draw back on because I was always that person that was like, okay, let's do more. What can we do? Let's do more. Um, and just have, helping our kids understand that there is time to do everything that you want to do at the level that you want to do it at. And there is a balance that you have to have in order for that to happen um, in a successful, positive yeah, way. Those are good life skills mm-hmm. for anyone. And I think we talk about it all the time. We all have we the same amount of time in a day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone has the same exact amount of time and it's how you schedule mm-hmm. it and how you use it. Exactly. So I think that's a life skill and mm-hmm. uh, a good mentoring moment, which yeah. I think is a good mm-hmm. Yeah, and you started to touch on mentoring a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, one of the most effective ways to encourage young women in athletics is through mentorship. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about why you decided to introduce mentoring into your team? And that is our, our favorite topic. It is our favorite <laughs> yes. topic. We're a little biased yes. on this topic. We love it. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about what you do with your team? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we try to do as much as we can. Um, we do a lot of team building, team bonding, team growth, individual growth, collective growth, um, and there's many, many things that we've done over the years. The, probably the best thing we've done is our mentoring program that Pam actually started for us last year. So I'm going to let her talk about that because it was, it was something where we were able to incorporate our alumni and everybody into our program that we want to continue. Yeah, I had the idea maybe three or four years ago mm-hmm. to really you know, run with it. And it, it kind of came from the, the, the program that you were working with, Pam. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of our athletes were, were involved in that. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I was, I was thinking, you know, we have some really phenomenal young women who have come through the Ryder program, not just the ones that Lynn has coached, but ones mm-hmm. that have come, come before us. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to find a way to kind of bridge that gap of, you know, introducing our student athletes to some of these amazing women. And I wanted to do it, it, you know, like, I think it was like the tail end of 2020. And of course that was COVID. And so everything kind of got pushed back a couple years. And finally last year, I was like, you know what, we're just going to do it. And um, it's going to be an evolving program because it was the first time of us doing it. We, um, we went through our list of alums and kind of focused in on, you know, I think there was like 15 of them that were like, okay, these are, these are some women who, um, have done what they said they were going to do, have, you know, made a positive impact. Um, and not just ones that have, you know, these tremendous, you know, sea level type of jobs, mm-hmm. but just really, um, have grown from being a student athlete to, to where they are right now. And, and, we had 11, 11 former um, women's basketball players say yes. That's and great. yeah, and we were able to pair our student athletes up with them. And they, you know, just kind of facilitated a couple conversations of um, their, their kind of advice of things that they should be doing while they're in college. Because a lot of times you hear like, oh my gosh, I wish I would have done that when I was yeah. there, you know. Advice um, to your former self. Exactly. Kind of, yeah. and, and, you know, there's only so much advice that we can give them as coaches. 
Um, it's kind of like mom and dad. Yeah, you, yeah. you know, mom saying their thing, you know, dad, yeah. dad mm-hmm. says the same thing, and it's like in in one ear and out the other. And then to kind of hear it from other people that have worn the uniform and have done the same thing kind of hits home in a different way. So we're looking forward to um, hopefully continue to grow the program. I'm sure Lynn will ask me to be involved in some aspects, even though I'm no a longer on the staff. A big, I was going to say, I, I don't think anyone's letting you go, my friend. <laughs> Not on that. Not on that. We're going to take a mm-hmm. short break. We'll come back and talk a little bit more about leadership opportunities in sports. Uh, but right now you're listening to 107.7 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com, and this is Take the Reins. That was Pamela Mingle and Aaron Barnard with Take the Reins, underwritten by the Gail Bierenbaum Women's Leadership Council. We'll be right back after a short break. Take the Reins on 1077 The Bronx is underwritten by the Gail Bierenbaum Women's Leadership Council at Ryder University. For more than a century, women have fought for their seat at the table. Ryder University has a long history of uplifting women, opening its doors to women at its founding in 1865. Ryder University, along with the Gail Bierenbaum Women's Leadership Council, continues to encourage women to shatter glass ceilings and provide the tools to excel in a competitive world. The council connects outstanding Ryder scholars with professional women who have excelled in their fields, creating a space for women to network and build their leadership skills through workshops, philanthropy, and mentorship. Since its inception, the council has mentored over 250 Ryder students and has raised over $1.5 million in scholarships and programming funds, empowering students to find success beyond Ryder. The council aims to create a strong, multi-generational community of Ryder women to make a greater tomorrow. For information about the council or how you can get involved, follow Ryder WLC on Facebook and Instagram or visit ryder.edu slash women's leadership. We're back with Take the Reins, underwritten by the Gail Bierenbaum Women's Leadership Council. Here's co-host Pamela Mingle and Aaron Barnard with more insight. Welcome back. This is 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com, and you're listening to Take the Reins. We're talking today with Lynn Milligan and Pam Durkin about women's leadership in college sports. So let's talk a little bit about the challenges facing women's leadership roles at colleges and universities. And let's start by saying there's a lot of really good momentum right now yes. in women's sports, and we can get into that mm-hmm. as well. Um, there's a great organization and podcast uh, which is called Women's Leaders in College Sports, um, and we'll reference some of, of their stats as well. Um, but one of the things I'd love to start with is the changes since Title IX. So we celebrated this year, no, this past year mm-hmm. was the 50th anniversary of Title IX, which played a key role in promoting equity in athletics. And Title IX requires colleges to provide equitable opportunities to men and women to participate in sports, whether that's through roster numbers, scholarship funds, and competitive opportunities. However, it doesn't have any regulations on gender equity in coaching. And an interesting outcome of Title IX was that although the number of women participating in college athletics is significantly increasing, the percentage of women coaching teams, particularly in the NCAA, has declined to from 90% to 43% since Title IX. And we thought, well, let's talk a little bit about that. What do you see as um, some of the issues facing women's leadership, and particularly looking at those key roles? Mm-hmm. Men are moving into roles, coaching women's sports, where women were traditionally coaching and leading their own teams in their own divisions within colleges. I think that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I, I think these are just my thoughts. But if you go back to uh, you know 1972 when Title IX was part of the Education Act and things started to change and people started to see uh, the advantage of uh, balancing things out a little bit more. Right. Um, I'm not choosing the right words, but to balance things out a little bit more between what was available to men and what was available to women in not only athletics but in all types of activities and organizations within universities and, and things like that. I think there were a lot of um, really great women coaches that came through that time at a very young age. Um, you know, you look at, at Pat Summit, who was a head coach at 23. Uh, you know, people, and then the longevity that she had and she grew through the sport. I think, quite frankly, I think a lot of in the 70s, I think the image of women was very different. Mm-hmm. I think that our image was get a job, have a family, stay home with your kids, raise your family. I think that played a part. Um, I have a lot of friends that are that are wonderful mothers and wonderful coaches, and that balance that we talked about earlier is a whole different ballgame. Um, I think that played a part in um, some of the, the opportunities for women in coaching maybe 20, 30 years ago that they had to choose. 
now I think we're in a situation where in the right situations with the right um, resources, with the right uh, at the right universities, with the right people around you, that I think there is a way to do both now. Um, and I, so I, I, I anticipate that number growing and getting, I don't know if it'll get back up to 90, but I do anticipate that growing a little bit more just with the, the, um, just the availability of resources, you know, monetarily and, you know, tangible resources that can help women be able to do both things and succeed in their career and, you know, be with their family or, you know, anything like that. So I think that played a little bit of part in it. Um, I think it's, it's a- yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting when you talk about that and you see the 90% to the 40% mm-hmm. and I'm going back and I'm like, when did I have a female coach? Mm-hmm. Right. I had a female field hockey coach in high school that was incredibly instrumental to me. Um, and I think that was the only female mm-hmm. coach I had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I have had, I've had until I got here in softball. Time, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I had male coaches growing up. So for, and again, it goes back to the awareness that goes back to, you know, if I had all male coaches around me when I was in my formative years, why did I want to be a coach? So at that point for me, it wasn't male coach, female coach. It was good coach, bad coach. Yeah. And that's the way I look at a lot of things. It's if you're a good coach, you're a good coach. If, if you're the best person for that job, then you're the best person for that job. All things being equal, there's a man for the job and a woman for the job and everything is equal. Sure. You want the female to have the opportunity 100%. But I think I was fortunate enough to have the views of, is this person a good coach and are they making an impact in my life? As opposed to, well, why is he a male coach? Why do I, why don't I not have a female coach? And maybe I was naive in that regard. I don't know. Um, I do know that the female coach I had was incredibly instrumental to my growth as a coach, as an at, and as an athlete. She was the the coach that actually pushed me the hardest, more than the male coaches I had. When I really look back at it, but I think you know, coaching is such a misunderstood profession. Uh, you know, people still ask me now, oh, what do you do for a living? Uh, you know, I'm a basketball coach. Oh, is that what you do full time? That's your full time job? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I actually, work, it is. You know, seven I days a week lives. for 12 Thank months you. a year. Yeah. And in yeah. charge of many lives. But that's, you know, that's besides the point. But I do think that there's a, a balance, I hope, that will that will strike um, as as we move forward. But I think it's it's about representation. It's about, you know, what you see, you know, and, and it was um, it's not what you saw. And then it was what you saw, but you only saw it at the top level. So now can that can that continue to grow with the opportunities and the awareness and the um, forethinking of people in our in our athletics world now? I, I think it will. I think it will. A, and it's a, it's an interesting conversation that I think we need to, to keep having. Yeah. And to your point, to look at role models, and you two are such incredible role models. And, and I know you mentioned Pat Summit, who mm-hmm. um, I've just learned about. So, uh, <laughs> um, but it does make me wonder, and I'm going to circle back to a question, and then I think we're going to dive into a little mm-hmm. bit more with Title IX. But when you think about those influential coaches in your life, and you talk about what makes a good coach, mm-hmm. and so that's somebody that's driving you, that's somebody that's pushing you beyond your comfort level. And how do you do that, particularly now, in encouraging, pushing a student or pushing an athlete to be the very best that they can be, but at the same time encouraging them um, so that they don't drop out of the sport, so that they don't decide to move on to something else? There has to be that very fine line because you hear so many stories about these tough coaches. Mm -hmm. And then later in life, everybody looks back. And you can say the same thing about professors, really difficult professors, but the life skills that they've taught you, Mm -hmm. monumental impact. So how do you walk that line um, in in your field? Hmm. Um, you know, it's a little bit different because I, you know, I was never the head coach. I never moved one seat over. Um, so ultimate decisions always fell on <laughs> the head coach. <laughs> yes. Um, but I think a lot of it starts when they're younger. Um, and, and I think that's mm-hmm. kind of what we're experiencing right now with the current, the current climate of um, the transfer portal and stuff like that is – if they have good skills coming through when they get to when they get to the college level, you'll see that those kids, the ones that can be challenged and pushed, um, and every kid is every kid's different. I mean, like like mm-hmm. like Lynn had mentioned, I played for um, a college coach that was very demanding um, and pushed us to a point that you never thought that you could get, and I didn't have a problem with it. But you can't, you know, the the climate has changed, the culture has changed, and you have to be willing to adjust. And you just have to be willing to, every single team is different. You just yeah, have to be willing yeah. to, yeah. 
you know, kind of listen to your student athletes. Um, if you have 14 players on the team, all 14 of them are going to be different in, in what their what they want their experience to be. And, you know, unfortunately, it's not just one, you know, one one cluster of, of players as a team. And and I think my job as an assistant coach um, was to really gain, you know, kind of get the, the heartbeat or the pulse of, of some of the athletes and be like, all right, you know, this kid we can really push. Mm-hmm. Um, this kid, you know, has, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like has what it takes to push them past the point that, that they don't even know that they can get. And this one, you know, we're not going to be able to. We're going to have to mm-hmm. um, find different ways to challenge them, whether it's whether it's more mentally, whether it's more off the court. Um, because we do have to be a little bit more sensitive now to, um, I, I, I guess, the, I don't know if the, the word feelings is right, but um, players, not players in general, but, but mm-hmm. this culture right now, the students have, have a voice. And they want to use that voice, mm-hmm. um, which which is which is good. Not saying twenty five years ago I didn't have a voice, but it's yeah. different. Um, yeah. And 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 you know, kind of going back to an earlier topic we talked about is teaching these kids how to use that voice. Like one val- valuable skill that that we can teach them is communication, mm-hmm. communication and listening. Mm-hmm. Goes back all the you time know, to that, bo- doesn't both it? Both of yeah. those two is like, listen, I, I can't help you if you don't talk to mm-hmm. me about what it is that you're feeling. Mm-hmm. And maybe back 25 years ago, it was like, I don't care what you're feeling. We have to yeah. win basketball games. Exactly. So, there's so a balance. I think that's, that's the biggest mm-hmm. difference now. Yeah, there's definitely a balance because as the head coach, I have to coach. I coach the team the same, and I coach the people differently. But I have mm-hmm. to do that all at the same time. Oh, that's such an interesting distinction. Yeah. Yeah. So the I coach them the same, the but I coach the them different. Yeah. And it is. It's, it's, um, it, it can be challenging, but it's if you can rely on certain things like – you know, the discipline of how you do things, the why we're very big into why, like kids want to know why they're doing something. Mm-hmm. It's not why. Well, cause I said so. Like I want our players to know why we're doing certain things. Well, how come we're doing this? Well, this is why we're doing this. So I think the why is super important. I think the discipline of things is super important because every kid is going to say their easy answer is, is, well, I need confidence. Well, confidence comes from discipline and preparation. So if you have discipline and preparation, discipline and preparation, confidence, confidence comes, comes from, from discipline and preparation. That's my opinion. Yeah, I think yeah. that I think, I think it does. That's so critical. So I think what a key takeaway. I think it's a lot of um, a lot of young people are like, just give me confidence, give me confidence. Well, discipline and preparation is going to help you have confidence in yourself because I can't give you confidence, and it but I can give you, to you yeah, and I can give you discipline and preparation, and you're going to create your own confidence. So it's a hard it's a hard lesson sometimes. Yeah, no, that's a mm-hmm. that is something that I think we're gonna we're gonna start talking about in the women's council in our team meetings because mm-hmm. that's a really good point. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. That's that's the challenge every day. That was just you know putting it all together and trying to get the end product to be what you need it to be when you have you know fifteen very different um, different young women that see things different ways. So there's you know some are visual learners, some are can listen better, some need to see it. So how can we be visual? How can we talk about it? How can we share the why? Um, and then tie that all together and make sure that we're all on the same page. And they're all individuals. So I think it's so interesting Mm -hmm. to think about it that you have to coach every individual Mm -hmm. differently in order to function. (laughs) Yes. It seems like an impossible challenge. It can be at times, but yeah, that's really what it is. It's, 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 and then, you know, and, and as a, an athlete on the team, you know, you're on a team. It's not yeah. an individual sport. We're not playing tennis. We're not playing golf. It's an individual sport. I mean, it's a team sport. So, you know, from jump, you're joining something that's bigger than yourself. Right. So not everything is going to be the way you think it should be or the way, you know, you want it to be. And if you understand, well, this, these decisions, this is the why, and we're doing this for the team first, it has to be team first, then everything else kind of, kind of falls into place. And that goes right back to why they're such great leaders. <laughs> We're going to take another short break. This is 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com, and you're listening to Take the Reins. That was Pamela Mingle and Aaron Barnard with Take the Reins, underwritten by the Gail Bierenbaum Women's Leadership Council. We'll be right back after a short break. Take the Reins on 1077 The Bronx is underwritten by the Gail Bierenbaum Women's Leadership Council at Ryder University. For more than a century, women have fought for their seat at the table. Ryder University has a long history of uplifting women, opening its doors to women at its founding in 1865. Ryder University, along with the Gail Bierenbaum Women's Leadership Council, continues to encourage women to shatter glass ceilings and provide the tools to excel in a competitive world. The council connects outstanding Ryder scholars with professional women who have excelled in their fields, creating a space for women to network and 
and build their leadership skills through workshops, philanthropy, and mentorship. Since its inception, the council has mentored over 250 rider students and has raised over $1.5 million in scholarships and programming funds, empowering students to find success beyond rider. The council aims to create a strong, multi-generational community of rider women to make a greater tomorrow. For information about the council or how you can get involved, follow Rider WLC on Facebook and Instagram or visit rider.edu slash women's leadership. We're back with Take the Reins, underwritten by the Gail Bierenbaum Women's Leadership Council. Here's co-host Pamela Mingle and Aaron Barnard with more insight. Welcome back to Take the Reins, 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. Today we're talking about women's leadership in sports. And the good news is that it's increasing. We're, we have some momentum mm -hmm. now. The percentage of women head coaches in NCAA women's teams is up again for the eighth year in a row, up to 43%. And for the fourth year in a row, all the NCAA Division I women's teams at 43%. So the data is headed in the right direction. We're uh, going up. We're headed the right mm -hmm. way. Yes. yes, riding the momentum. Mm -hmm. For the first time in 10 years, the number of women head coaches hired to replace outgoing coaches was greater than the number of men hired. So the data is trending mm -hmm. in the right direction, but it is still pretty stagnant. Um, the increases are on average 0.3% of the last nine years and still only 24% of athletic directors in the NCAA are women. So when some we're thinking, of, yeah. there's still some work to do. But when we're thinking about this momentum, what can we do to keep propelling it forward? Um, I would like to go back to youth sports. Um, I think for the momentum to continue to to make progress, um, I think we have to continue looking at youth sports and that transition from middle school to high school. Well, and that's um, where we see so many of young women drop out at right. twice it's the rate of point. boys. Yeah. Right, right. And so I, yeah. you're right, mm -hmm. that's important. And I think if we if we kind of focus in on that, you know, I know that they've really focused in on trying to make sure that the coaches that are working with the um, the young young children are, are certified now um, which is which is good you know background checks all that type of stuff but but for me I, I think it's more we've seen we've seen a culture shift and, and like it or not cell phones are here to stay right. um, and and video games and video mm -hmm. games and all that type of stuff I mean you know I hate to age myself but <laughs> You know that wasn't that wasn't part of my growing up. I mean, video games were. Don't get me wrong. Like I killed it in, in Nintendo 64. Um, but it was you came home from from school, you went outside, you played until it's dark, and then you came in and did your homework. Kids have so many more distractions, so to speak, and um, and parents are just as distracted, unfortunately. Um, parents aren't as fortunate to be able to stay home with their children all day long as they were you know, maybe 25 years ago. Both parents are generally working, which means that the parents um, aren't spending as much time with, with their with their children. And, and just stuff as simple as, you know, like just kicking the ball in the backyard. Um, I, 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 a little anecdote, I was talking to my mom this morning on the way up about my niece who's playing soccer, and, and she seems to enjoy it, but she just seems disinterested at times. And, and I go back and I think of the amount of time TV uh, sports were on the TV in my household and how we just go out in the backyard and just throw the ball around you know the amount of windows we broke was ridiculous <laughs> but you know that type of stuff and and I'm not saying that um you know parents aren't spending time with the kids it's just it just needs to be more you if you see something in, in your younger children you know it, like you know and this is like between eight I don't think kids should be specializing in sports until maybe their freshman year in high school. That's mm -hmm. just my opinion. Um, that's just years of seeing overuse injuries and all that type of stuff. And that can be a, another podcast for a yeah, whole Yeah, I was going to say, there's yeah. definitely a part two yeah. to this. But that, that key time when the kid's between like 8 and 12 years old, you know, they just want to run around and they just want to play and they just want to have fun. And being able to go from practice to coming home and continue to work on those skills, I think that's where the confidence in, in continuing your sport um, starts. It's, you know, not just going to practice with the team and then the game and then coming home and, and not thinking about the sport the rest of the time. Yeah. Um, like I said, just having it on in the background and just you learn so many lessons even by watching it on TV. And I'd like to, to um, you know, I wish there was, you know, maybe there's a study out there about seeing like how many households, you know, have have a sports on in the TVs and, and does that impact the student the, um, the 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 younger children growing up, and so for me I, I kind of look at it like keep that momentum or 
make sure that momentum starting is being pushed one, yeah. and starting in grammar school, mm-hmm. middle like middle school, elementary or elementary middle, and then as they get into high school, then that confidence is already there. Then mm-hmm. then they're not so intimidated to join. High, high school sports for the first time because right. I because yeah. you know and that's a different but it is I, didn't, I, didn't come, I came from a very small um middle school and we didn't have feeder programs to the high school but my parents we were always outside playing you know I had I had an older brother and, and uh, you know I have a couple younger sisters and we were always playing so so I was able to kind of develop some of those skills but I can't imagine how intimidating it is when you show up and you might not have been exposed to those things until that day and I, and I see it some sometimes when I go to when I used to go to open gyms for for basketball and some of these kids showing up to try out for the team you can just tell that they've never mm-hmm. Um, been introduced to to just some of the basic skills and that stuff can start just so much younger yeah that's good advice mm-hmm. and food for mm-hmm. thought for the parents out there mm-hmm. yeah absolutely um, I want to circle back we have just a few minutes left and we have our, our rapid-fire questions <laughs> at the end so we want to leave time for that um, but one of the things we talk about a lot in um, in athletics is looking at the outputs as uh, a measure of equity, right? So looking at, you know, what are your ticket sales, your marketing revenue, and that seems to me, I was listening to a really interesting podcast. We talked about the women leaders in college sports, but how do you, I, I think you have to invest in the input before you're going to have equal outputs. So I'm kind of curious, in your opinions, is how do we fix those inputs so that we're getting those outputs, so that we're having you know the resources for women in sports to have that same opportunity, and we're not sending our players overseas. We're able to keep them and be able to interact with our communities. And middle school boys are able to sit in a stadium and go to women's sports and find it as compelling as men's sports. So I'm just curious in your experience, how do we how do we work on that? How do we make those investments on the beginning so that you get yeah. there at the end? Um, I, th- I think, um, I mean, uh, again, that's a loaded question. I mean, you can make the easy answer and be like, just give spend more, more money. money. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, but I think it's more than that. I think there's, there's an awareness. There's a, um, it needs to be in people's faces. I mean, you mm-hmm. see the success that um, you know, college women's basketball is at right now because of social media, because of the investment that some of these these bigger schools are making mm-hmm. into their athletes. Um, the NLI is playing um, is playing a part in that. The name, image, and likeness things playing a part in that. It's it's putting women's sports in the forefront, and that's how it has to happen. And if it's in the forefront, in my opinion, at the Power Five level, at the WNBA level, at you know um, the college softball, at um, the professional women's soccer, all of that stuff, when it's at there it's it's natural i think going to trickle down to us because we're going to be the feeders we're going to be the ones that that are preparing these athletes to be at that level and be in the forefront um but i think a lot of it is awareness a lot of it is putting it in people's faces constant um constant hits whether it's social media whether it's tv espn i mean you look at the WNBA; they're on ion this year and espn and abc so they're expanding their tv market where you're going to turn the TV on by accident and stumble onto a WNBA game. That's how it happens. You know what I mean? It's it's constant awareness. You know, at our level, it's it's social media. It's us getting in the community. It's like, how can we get people in alumni gym so that they can see our young ladies play? Because our young ladies are very aware. We talk about it all the time. We are judged on the 40 minutes that we're on the court. Yeah. But the other amount of time, you know, nobody... Nobody knows that, you know, we're getting up at seven and lifting or we're practicing at seven o'clock at night or they have to go running at 6 a.m. or all of those things. And I tell my kids all the time, nobody cares about that. We know what we're doing. We know what we're doing to prepare and be disciplined so that we can put ourselves in the most successful situation on game night because that's what we're preparing for. All of that stuff behind the scenes doesn't really matter to the family that's coming to see us play. But we have to be prepared to be at our best so that they come back. And that's how we grow the game. Yeah. You know, if, if a mother's bringing her daughter and dad and son come along and they have a great family night, well, then they're all going to come back. And maybe yeah. next time, you know, the son and daughter bring a friend and next time they bring two friends and then they want to, hey, I want to have my birthday party with the Rider Lady Bronx. OK, great. Let's do that. But it's it's awareness. It's it's being um, accessible to anything, um, anything that like I say it all the time. I don't say no to anything. If you want to be accessible to Rider Rooms basketball, doors open, come on in. Because we'll, we'll do whatever we have to do to make sure that people understand who we are and what we're all about. That's great advice. Mm-hmm. Great advice. We are coming up right to the mm-hmm. end of our show. So we are going to head into our rapid fire questions to take us out. Our Aaron, favorite you want to part. I was just say, this is our favorite part. We have not shared the questions ahead of time. Um, so Aaron, why don't you lead us off? Sure. Our first okay. question, what is your non-negotiable? Mm. Oh, geez. 
For, it's a big question. Yeah, that's like non-negotiable um, for me and for like the people that are around me. It's and I, I don't have time to go into it, but it's heart and soul. It's the heart, it's the philosophy of our program. It's who we are. It's the culture of our program. It's a big long acronym, um, but it's non-negotiable. You have to have your heart and soul. Love it. Uh, my non-negotiable is trust. Mm. Perfect. What are you reading right now? <laughs> what well, I'm going to start that one. I'm reading Switchers by Dawn Graham because mm. I'm currently switching. You know, from being a <laughs> college, from being <laughs> a college, I'm currently switching <laughs> uh, from a college coach to yeah. hopefully, you know, working in like corporate corporate America. So, um, not only am I, you know, getting out of higher ed, but I'm also changing the, the complete mm -hmm. role of what I want to do. So, the trajectory yeah. of where you're going, and then yes. we were, if we had more time, and this yeah. is where part two, so, yeah. we're going to mm -hmm. take you up on, on how coaching prepared you yeah. for that transition. I'll sadly say I'm not reading a book right now. I'm just, I listen to a lot of podcasts on my way in, but currently not reading a book unless people, unless people magazine counts totally. <laughs> <laughs> podcast i love smartless oh that's um, nice. yeah. i love the john gordon ones like okay. i go from fun ones to learn ones yeah. yeah who would you like to have dinner with i love this question um i am a huge fan on many many levels of robin roberts Oh, um, yeah. from back when I first got into this profession going, she was ESPN. She was the female mm -hmm. broadcaster. Yep. She was the person that gave women's basketball kind of a, a voice on national television as far as talking about it and being about it. Um, and then obviously what she's done, you know, fought for, you know, for her life and good yep. morning America. And I just think she's an amazing role model. So I would say Robin mm -hmm. Roberts. That, that, that answer has changed for me over the years. Currently mm -hmm. it would probably be Danica Patrick. Mm -hmm. Um, so know. someone who has had a lot of success, um, in a male-dominated industry, mm -hmm. um, and then is now pivoted to you know a completely different type of career. What profession? And Pam, we can start with you on this one. What profession <laughs> would you like to be doing More if you weren't doing what you're doing right now? Um, or we can come back to that. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I, I still I, I enjoyed coaching because I enjoyed helping, um, you know, and, and you know, being of service and that type of stuff. And and so. For me, I, I just want to find something that continues to put me in the, in that in that role, and, and just helping people get from, you know, being being you know starting from point A to get to point Z, and being the best version of themselves, and helping them get to that get to that point. You know what that's going to look like. You know, stay tuned. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've always wanted to. I'm a talker by nature. I have always wanted to do um, broadcasting, TV, radio, any of those types of things where I can just I think and again be in a be in a situation yeah. where I can talk about the sport and talk about um, the things that Pam's talking about. Like I like to talk about it. I would love to do a podcast, anything like that, where I could just we can do another one. We can just keep going. Anytime, podcast anytime, three, podcast four. anytime. <laughs> Our last question: What job would you least like to do? Anything that revolves sitting around a desk from nine to five yeah. in a cubby is not for me. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking a lot about jobs that I don't <laughs> yeah. want to do. <laughs> it is good. You can eliminate yeah, a bunch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, it's funny because being a college coach and, and, and recruiting players to come to your, to your campus involves sales a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. But I would not want to have a job where my life depended on making, making the clothes. Yeah. Um, like, you know... Yeah, you know, and that's that's one of those types of things where I'm just like I just know where where my limits are, and like that's one of those jobs that I really don't want to touch. Yeah, fair enough, absolutely. Well, we wanted to thank you both so much for taking time with us today. We're really excited, and like we said, we'll probably have. In fact, let's just commit to it now. Yes. We'll do a follow up to this. Um, We're in. And women in women in <laughs> sports, women leaders in sports. Uh, this is 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com, and you've been listening to Take the Reins from the Gail Bierenbaum Women's Leadership Council. That was co-host Aaron Barnard and Pamela Mingle with Take the Reins. Join the discussion next week, Sunday at 8 a.m. with the Gail Bierenbaum Women's Leadership Council, only on 1077 The Bronx.